he's going to speak this morning. Hallelujah. Oh, yeah, the crowd erupts. Look at that, I'm going old school. As I said to Ray before, I'm going my 10-cent books from Officeworks. Look at me go. No sitting here, oh, the iPad doesn't work or anything for me. No. Okay, today, Gideon. Mm-hmm, I know. A name that brings excitement and that this little rush of headiness to us all, isn't it? I'm going to have a look at Gideon today, though, because I have this strong and deepening impression that Gideon is someone of great relevance, not just to us as individual Christians, but to us as a church. And hopefully, I can effectively communicate as we go on. Now, the story of Gideon, for those who don't know, if you've been in church for a long time, you're, going, you're already sitting there starting to nod off and probably rightly so, thinking, okay, here we go, fleeces God, yeah, okay, Gideon didn't have enough faith, here we go. If you haven't been in church for long, you're probably going, who, who, I was going to say something rude, but who on earth is Gideon? And so, look, I'll briefly explain. Firstly, we're not going to go the fleeces thing. So those of you who've been in church since, well, last century, we're not doing that one. So a bit of relief there. For those who've got no idea what I'm talking about, hopefully by the end of the, uh, the talk, you'll have a little bit of an idea. But Gideon is in Judges 6, where his story starts. Now, where it first gets that cosmic relevance is that Judges 6 comes straight after, and for the more gifted amongst you, this will not be a shock, Judges 5. I know. Now, you can see that that time spent in theological school wasn't wasted. Now, that's important, not only numerically, and for those with a touch of OCD, but because in Judges 5, something important happens at the end of it. What is that? I hear you cry. In Judges 5, we learn that under the leadership of a judge called Deborah, Israel has been at peace for 40 years. So Israel, the people of God, have been basically doing it easy, doing it well. They have been receiving the blessings of God for 40 years. Now that's good. It also gets merits one verse at the end of chapter 5. It's one of those funny things in the Bible that when there's blessing being poured out and stuff like that, the Bible doesn't focus on it so much. It spends a lot of time focusing on the really ordinary stuff and the struggles. But, oh, here's God blessing you for 40 years, one verse. But it's one important verse. Now, it's a little bit of an interesting one there. Because straight after that, it then says, but, or the equivalent of, if you read the King James, butteth, the Israels did, the Israelites did evil, and God handed them over to the Midianites. And they were under the control of the Midianites for seven years. Now, there's where our first hint is that something a little bit unusual is happening here. Why? Because as I mentioned before, in the Bible we see lots and lots of times things happen for 40 years and 48, 40 years, 40 days, 40 hours, this sort of stuff. We very, very rarely see 
and they were in trouble for 37 and a half years. We very, very, in fact, we never see, oh, after 41 years, or just to round it up to a nice six weeks after 42 days, 40 is used a lot. And 40 almost always represents happy times, trials. It represents some sort of suffering. Jesus fasts for 40 days. There's 40 days of rain. The Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years. So it represents some sort of trial. But yeah, we've got that flipped on its head. Because Israel was at peace for 40 years. So that's a bit, okay, something a bit unusual is happening. And then we have seven years of trial. Now, usually seven years means some sort of completeness. And so we would expect to have the 40 years of trial and the seven years of yay. But here it's flipped on its head. Here, the usual way of how the Bible says things is turned upside down. Why might that be? Let's, let's have a little bit of a look. Now, we note here that things are bad. Things are bad because the Israelites are being oppressed by the Midianites. Now, in verse 5 of Judges chapter 6, we see a particularly instructive example of that. Very important, because to us we go, why would we care about that? The enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were thick as locusts, and they arrived on droves of camels too numerous to count. Now clearly to the writer here, the camels were a really important thing. Because we sit there and go, yeah, they had camels. Well, good on them. That must have been pretty exciting. Well, we've got news. It was. Why would he bother? Why would the writer bother to talk about the camels? Because you would think that they had warriors with spears. Or they had nasty things to hit us on the head with. Too numerous to count. Would, would get your attention. But we're talking now camels. Why? Why camels? Because camels back then had a twofold purpose. Firstly, they were kind of like, think like a, an ancient tank. Camels were big and annoying. And now, of course, if you got them with a spear, then they would fall over like anything else got with a spear. But you actually had to get them with a spear. And that wasn't easy, especially when there was a lot of them. And oh, hang on. There's a lot. Also, when you've got camels, you have got in a dry area the most effective kind of tractor or beast of burden that you can get. So the writer here is basically using the camels as an image for just how bad it was. They have crushed us militarily and now they can crush us economically. So for the, the ancient reader, the camels are, oh, oh, that's bad. They've got lots of camels. Now, that verse really tells you the story, or tells you the background of this story straight out. Why? They stayed until the land was stripped bare. 
Now, it doesn't say that they stayed until it just was bad or it was you know, really quite inconvenient or you know, relations between the two groups were awkward. The problem here for Israel is insurmountable. The problem here for Israel is you know, we can't see a way out. Everything we've got has been taken. These people have got the resources to keep crushing us. And if we start to go, are we going to take this anymore? No, get into them. Then they can basically wipe us out because they've got lots of camels. So we are in a whole world of pain here. Now, after a while, they cry out to God. Takes them a little while, takes a few years, but they go, okay, God, help. If you're not busy, help. Now, here's where again, we start to see something that you wouldn't really, in the logical scheme of things, expect. Here is Israel who says, our God created the heavens and the earth. Our God is almighty. Not just mighty, but almighty. Our God can do and, and has done everything. And they cry out to him. And what does God do? Does God send an almighty cosmic backhander to these Midianites? Does he come in and say, righto, let's rise up and, and, and bring in a, you know, mighty you know, Bruce Lee kung fu warrior or something like that. What does God do? Let's look in the next verse. He sends a prophet. Now, let's just cogitate on this for just a moment. What do prophets do? They talk. That's what prophets do. They don't do they talk. Now, I would imagine that if we go back a few thousand years and start sitting around the Israelite campfires at that time, that there may have been a certain level of disappointment with the Israelites. Why? We asked God for a deliverer. We asked God to get us out of this and what does he bring discussion he brings someone talking not fighting not rising up not getting things good he brought someone who talks much like I'm doing now and you're not enjoying that so much so imagine the disappointment of these people he brought someone to talk now if we look at it, though, in slightly different terms, we start to see something that perhaps for us, and I'm getting back to my original point, that can, be, that can become a little bit more relevant to us. Because what is the prophet in talking? He gives a word. The prophet gave a word. Now, you will find, as you go through this Christian life, that that gets important that one of the ways God works or tends to work is through his word. And this prophet 
has come along and he is now going to deliver a word. Now, the problem or the really annoying and inconvenient thing is that very often that word is going to require something from us. God will say whatever word and then there'll be, in my experience, a couple of things. Firstly, a requirement from us and secondly, a rather annoying weight. There will be those two factors almost always involved. So God sends a prophet and he says, this is the word. Now, what is the word? The word boils down to, in modern terms, he says, I am the Lord your God, do not worship the gods of the Midianites. Now, it's not exactly a really detailed word saying, this is how you go about it, guys. Okay. He basically just reminds him, I'm God. Don't turn your eyes away from me. I'm God. Now, basically, in modern day terms, what is he saying? He's saying, I'm God. This is my word. Stay true to it. Don't keep looking around for other things. Stay on the path that I've, I've directed you. Remember those 40 years of you know, good stuff? Yeah. Stay there. So it's a, it's a reasonably straightforward thing. It's not earth-shattering. It's not rocket science. It's not turning things upside down. It's, I'm God, stay true. Now, I would struggle to imagine a church or a Christian group of any kind where that word would not be relevant for them, at least in some ways. A reminder, I am God. Remember that I'm God. Keep your eyes on me. I would struggle to think of any Christian who in some way, probably in the last week, couldn't have really benefited from that. Hang on, he is God. I need to keep my eyes fixed where they need to be. I've been distracted. I've had my eyes taken away from them. I need to keep my eyes focused on God. So while in some ways it's quite sort of ho-hum, in other ways it's absolutely fundamental. Now... Here's where we have another one of our strange ones. In verse 11, we then, this, our whole narrative, our story takes like a sidestep. It's like, it's going on, okay, I'm God, and then, well, there we go on this way now. Why? Because all of a sudden from our prophet, who's never not named, we've, we then go to an entirely different scene. It's like in Shakespeare, end of act two. Now, act three, scene one. We go completely different. Why? Because we've got an angel not the prophet, but the angel, comes and talks to a guy called Gideon. He's our man. Okay. So what's going on here? Angel talks to Gideon, and this is the bit that, a little bit that I relate to, and I realize very, very clearly that I am not in any way an angel. And I will probably be getting any second now from the second row there from two people. Yes. Amen and hallelujah. Sorry to wake you, Ash. Um, the angel, and there I've just revealed that probably, haven't I? <laughs> okay, the angel comes along and similar to me to my daughter right then, makes what appears to be a sarcastic remark because the angel walks and talks to Gideon and calls him mighty warrior. Now, I could imagine myself, similar to the example that I inadvertently just gave, making some sort of sarcastic remark here, well done, mighty warrior. But it does not say, and lo, the angel in a sarcastic tone doth speaketh to Gideon. 
No, the angel actually addresses him as mighty hero, mighty warrior. The Lord's with you. Now, good. We're at last getting to someone doing something. What a warrior. Righto. So we've got Chuck Norris, we've got Bruce Lee, we've got Arnie, whatever. We've got someone now. At last, here's Gideon. So let's, righto. Our mighty warrior, though, is perhaps not our obvious mighty warrior. It does not say mighty warrior who was working out in the gym, getting buffed. No, it was mighty warrior who was at a wine press. Now, there's plenty of us here who go, well done. Good on you. He's at a wine press, mate. He's got me on board straight away. I won't, yeah, if you need prayer for that sort of thing later, the vicar will pray for you. But there's plenty of us here who go, well, he's obviously not a fool. He's there at the wine press. But why is he at the wine press? He's at the wine press and it seems that he's got a little bit of a mix. Yeah, he's got... His message is mixed. He's at the wine press with his wheat. So oh, all of a sudden now we go, oh, okay, a mighty warrior is not the sharpest tool in the shed, is he? And he's there with the wheat going, why aren't I getting wine out of this? What's going on here? Something's going wrong. It's just not working. He's at the wine press with the wheat because he's that scared of the Midianites finding his wheat. Now, wheat is a basic. It's a staple. It's food. This is another little sort of illustration to us just how crap things were. He is trying to get stuff to eat and he's, got, he's scared that even the very basics are going to be taken by the Midianites. So he's not actually an idiot who can't work out how, or how you make wine. He's actually being pretty cunning. He's actually finding out, oh, hang on. Well, if I'm here at a wine press, they're not going to, think, they're not going to automatically assume I've got food, so they might leave me alone. I've got a better chance. Now, that might be smart, but it certainly doesn't give any indication that he's a mighty warrior. Doesn't give any indication he's even an average warrior. Not even, you know, the angel might have been more accurate by saying, very, very ordinary potential warrior, but he doesn't. Mighty warrior. Okay. Now, Gideon clearly does not see himself as that. Gideon clearly sees the mighty warrior thing as a little bit of a, yeah, really? It's something to keep in the back of our minds. Because Gideon doesn't see himself as that necessarily. Now, Verse 15, how does Gideon see himself? Gideon sees himself. He says, I am the least member of the least family of my nation. And let's not forget what's happening to that nation. That nation is being absolutely crushed and owned. So my nation sucks. My family is at the bottom of a nation that sucks and I'm at the bottom of the family that's at the bottom of the nation that sucks. And so for Gideon, the mighty warrior thing is really not working. And any logical person going and doing an analysis of, okay, who do we find to lead Israel out of this, to actually do something, would probably not immediately go, yeah, Gideon's man. 
he's a bit clever, but he's not the man for the warrior. Now, first thing, Gideon makes reasonable points. Everything he says is true. He is not being a pessimist or a, you know, self-deprecating or being a real sort of, oh, no, no, really, no, it's just me, no, oh, surely. He's actually talking about reality. He's actually being very realistic. But, and here's one of the things I think God is saying to us. Here's one of the things that I think that really keep this one rattling around in your brain for a day or three. Because what is God saying verse 14 he says go in the strength that you have and here's this is the one where i was reading this this caused me to you know it was one of those things where god sort of you know went hey tap or the double click on the mouse to highlight it or whatever image you want to use i went hang on that's a bit different go in the strength that you have he does not say go in the strength I will give you. He doesn't say, go in the strength that you wish you had. He doesn't say, go in the strength that you gain from your clan or your family or your nation, or if you work out a lot, you'll get. He says, go in the strength that you have. And Gideon's just told him that the strength that he has isn't much at all. And then this strange, bizarre, from the almighty God who created heaven and earth, God says, don't go. <laughs> okay, well, Gideon, you just go ahead and I'll, I'll provide the muscle. No, he says, go and use the strength that you have. Now, without over-spiritualizing or dramatizing it, I really think that that's a word for some people here today. That God is saying, I have given you strength, go in the strength that you have. You don't think it's much, but are you worse off than Gideon? Do you have thousands of camels against you? But I really think that for some, somebody or somebody's here, that's a word for you. That God is saying, go in the strength that you have. And also, the first word there is important. Go. Not necessarily physically moving. But what is God saying for you to do? Go. Get onto it. Oh, but I, God hasn't blessed me with the, the money or the incredibly attractive looks or the learning or whatever it is. You go. Go in the strength that you have. Now, Gideon takes some convincing. Now, we'll abbreviate the, the, most of the rest of the story. Because as, you know, as many of us know, he starts laying out, for God, do you really mean it? Do you really mean it? Because he takes some convincing. Now, he has to sneakily go out and destroy an altar of the enemy's gods. And he gets into a bit of strife for that. People aren't real thrilled. Then he's got to lay out a couple of fleeces. And, oh, God, are you sure? Because I'm really not convinced. That's the other thing. People often talk about Gideon as lacking faith. Yet, one of the things I've noticed from reading the Bible is that God is not shy about telling you when or, or communicating when he is disappointed, cross, cranky, angry. Jesus himself you know, said to the disciples, you can read it yourself in the Gospels, you know, are you so dull? You know, Jesus tells the disciples pretty clearly and quickly, hey, you're on the wrong track. Yet here Gideon doesn't get that. 
It's like God saying, okay, Gideon, you are going, you're having it in your own way, you're having a bit of a go, so I'm with you. I will give you what you need. And I think also we should take encouragement from that. If God is saying to you, go in the strength that you have, then God will give you what you need. And if you're not sure, then ask God. God, give me a sign. God. Because it doesn't, often, I see no evidence in here that God was cranky with him. Okay, God, give me a sign. Now, to us here in 2020, my question would be, what word has God given you? The prophet may have come. And there's that generic, hey, keep your eyes on God. But what word has he given you? Now, I just want to um, relate here just a couple of little anecdotes, please, if you'll, if you'll permit me. Firstly, down in Wagga, I got to, uh, when we were down there for Christmas, I was asked by a family that Renee and I have known since, well, before we were married, a, a couple who, who were sort of, have always been pillars of the church and then they invited me around you know oh, catch, catch up tell us what tell us what's been going on and through our discussion I was talking about our, our nephew now Renee's and my nephew is going to be starting working for a church in Wagga in the next next few weeks isn't he he's starting now the first thing now the couple Bob and Jan Jan, to give you a stereotype, Jan is one of the very quite lovely, oh, how are you, lovely, you know, has never offended, to the best of my knowledge, has never offended anyone in her life and probably never will. She's in her 70s now, so if she's really wanting to do it, she'd better get on with it. Bob, on the other hand, you wouldn't say that. He's offended people most of the days of his life. Yeah, he is the sort of person, oh, I think God's telling me to do this. What do you mean he's telling you to do that? What did he tell you to do that for? Oh, okay, crush my dreams. But within that directness, you know that he's, he's telling you what he thinks. And also, he is one of those people who can, if you want to say, well, okay, Bob, if you think you hear from God, give me some examples and we'll have to sit down for a long time. And Bob, one of the first things he said, because I said, oh, yeah, Ethan, he's... He's, oh, what's he doing? Uh, well, he's going to start working for the church. He's, what? Is he? And it was almost, you could almost see, and Bob trying to be sort of a little bit, sort of, you know, avoided saying, what does he want to do that for? But one of the, what, are the, what did he say? He said, does he have a word? Because he knows that when you want to work for a church full time, that that's not going to be easy. He said, don't, he shouldn't be doing it if he just thinks it's the right thing to do. Does he have a word? Find out if he's got a word, Rod. Find out if he's got a word. And I went back and talked to Ethan that night, and yep, sure enough, Ethan does. But for, for Bob, it was, does he have a word? What is the, you know, has God given him a word? And then God, Bob gave me a few examples of this and that. I went, listen, listen, back then I was doing blah, 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 and then this happened, and I had to have a word. Does he have a word? Now, just to, and again, I'm not going to embarrass anybody here, but I know that there are people in here, because I've checked when you came in this morning, it was not good, I'm very clever. There are people in here who have had words given, I would believe by God, about reconnecting with their family, about the transformation of their family, a word urging them to pass on their knowledge, 
A word saying that God is going to shield them with favor. A word telling them to bring their ideas to the Lord. Words saying, telling them and urging them to go back to their dreams. What is God saying about that? A word telling them to speak to the mountain that's in front of them. A word saying that God is establishing you and to let God do the fighting for you. A word challenging them and telling them to be fruitful and that they will be fruitful because they've been faithful. And three people in here have been given words to write down what God is telling you. Write down what he's putting in your heart. And that someone in here has been given a word from God saying, you've got to say yes. Start saying yes. Now, my challenge would be, is okay, have you kept your eyes on that word? I don't know if you have, you haven't. I was just there being annoying, writing them down when, the, when they were given. And I read through them probably once a week. All of them. Now, my challenge to you would be, okay, there's the word from God. Have you kept focus on it? Have you kept your eyes on it? And there's probably, a, all of you have probably been given words through God's word in the last 12 months that I know nothing about, and you're probably glad about that too. Have you kept your eyes on them? What's God saying with that word? The other thing I would say is let's look beyond our wine press. We're a little, if we look at it in realistic terms, here we are, a little church in a remote region and we're in a denomination that's just lost its biggest member in the last 12 months. So when you look at it realistically, we don't have to be humble We've got, or if we're going to be humble, we've got plenty to be humble about. We are not sitting with a congregation, oh yes, oh my, my congregation's only 5,000 people, yes, we're just starting out with you know, multi blah, 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 blah. No, we've got, we have got plenty to be humble about. But, what if God's saying to us, go in the strength you have? What if he's not saying, oh, well, yeah, you guys, yeah, so look out west from here. What do you see? Not much. Look south, not much. Look north, not much. Look east, a little bit more, but you've got to go away to get it. How <laughs> do you? What if he's saying, go in the strength that you have? What if he's saying, yeah, yeah, you might be the equivalent of Gideon by the wine press, but go in the strength you have now to give you one little example before I wrap this up earlier this week Troy and Gus and myself uh, Troy thought he'd escape but nah we went out to Wee War now that's usually not something people brag about sorry anybody from Wee War here but usually you know, taking a trip to Wee War is not seen as oh I'm so jealous score you oh so we went to Wee War but through that, we had the opportunity to pray for a guy with lung cancer. Now, lung cancer's bad. Lung cancer's very bad. I don't know if anybody's ever prayed for him. I don't know what God's got in store for him. But I do know that because we as 
way church, we're not going no way, but let's have a way that through what we've been doing, we got a chance to pray for this guy. We got a chance to pray for this guy who is in a real, real spot of bother. His lungs gone, his hip also is gone. And we got that chance to pray. Because, well, are we doing much? No, we're giving out food from an IGA in Wee War, for goodness sake. That's not, you know, that's not Hillsong's next conference, let me tell you. But we're going in the strength that we have. As an aside there, and I will, I realise time's up, but I just want to tell you this. As an aside, and this hurtful, let me tell you. Got home after doing that, after being virtuous and working for the Lord and all the rest of it. Oh, so, you know, Vicar asks me what happened. And I, and I said, oh, we prayed for this guy with lung cancer. And do you, do you know the immediate response? You don't know the immediate response. The immediate response was, oh, good on Troy. Excuse me? Oh, well, good on Troy. You would have prayed for him. But, but, but. And then there was this look of genuine, what? You, you? Yeah. I had the idea. What's, and that, that, show, that shows you what I live with. That show, here I am on a little Gideon, behind my wine press, but I've got to go on the strength I've got, okay? Yeah, so just so to say, the Troy and I, yeah, I saw, I had the idea, yeah, okay, thank you, Lord. But anyway, so anyway, on that, so little Giddy and me, by my wine press, we prayed. And we also had our lady Annie came in, basically wanting to connect with us because she works the real estate agent and a lot of her clients... She said, look, they, they, they're at times, they're, they're basically without food. And they have to, sometimes out of their own pockets, provide, provide the basics. She said, is there any way we can... Now, I don't know if that'll come off or not. But again, there is an impact in a community. There are people being prayed for. There are lives being touched because we just go in the strength we have. And that also, just by the way, that's not Troy and me and Gus. That's us. We're going out. Now, if you're a part of Way Church, you're a part of that. That's us doing that. And so to finish off and mercifully shut up and all the rest of it, I would be saying, okay, going in the strength that you have, what does that look like? What do you have to change? Maybe nothing. What do you have to do or what do you have to avoid doing to look at those possibilities? And now before they start singing... I'll get off here and you can go back to doing what you're doing. Oh, hang on. Are you going to play by still? <laughs>